Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rita massaged her temples. She sat in the bunker underneath the National Library of Sweden, where the rarest books could be examined in climate-controlled rooms. In front of her lay an enormous white volume, its pages darkened with age. With the special access she'd been granted, she stayed past closing that night to continue her research on the Codex Gigas. At this hour, with the library empty, she could work undisturbed, or so she thought. She snapped her head up when she heard the sound. It was a solid thump, like something heavy falling to the floor. She took her headphones off and listened intently. When no further noises came, Rita shrugged and replaced her headphones. She must have been hearing things. She was examining a rather ominous passage. It describes a frightening process. The priest makes signs of the cross. He dares to address evil by name. Something thumped again, louder than before. Whatever it was, it sounded like it was right outside the door. Rita ripped the headphones from her ears and stalked out of the research room. Frustrated to find nothing amiss, Rita returned to her table. She made a mental note to ask the librarian if the pipes were acting up. But when she looked back towards the book, she gasped. The Codex pages were no longer open to the exorcism rituals. Instead, a mouth filled with sharp teeth and two long sinuous red tongues grimaced back at Rita. Staring out from the page, green-faced and menacing, was the Prince of Darkness himself, the Devil. Welcome to Unexplained Mysteries, a ParCast original. I'm your host, Molly. And I'm your host, Richard. In life, there's so much we don't know. But in this show, we don't take we don't know for an answer. Every Thursday, we investigate the greatest mysteries of history and life on Earth. You can find episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Unexplained Mysteries for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. 
reach out on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. This is our final episode on the Codex Gigas, a beautiful illuminated manuscript of immense size. The Codex has been at the heart of bizarre tragedies for centuries. If you believe the legend, this medieval Bible was written with the help of the devil himself. Last week, we traced the trail of misfortune that followed the Codex on its 800-year journey across Europe. It was easy to believe the manuscript had Satan's touch. Wherever the Codex went, fire, madness, and death often followed. This week, we'll examine the pages of the Codex to get to the bottom of this mystery. Hidden among the religious passages and unsettling illustrations, there just might be clues pointing to the true author of the Devil's Bible. Deep beneath the Swedish National Library, locked in an underground vault-like room, inside a special secured display room, there is a giant, intricately detailed tome. This book, the Codex Gigas, lies at the heart of an 800-year-old mystery. The Codex is massive. It's over three feet high, a foot and a half wide, and has 620 vellum pages. The Swedish National Library has calculated that this book would have taken a single author 20 to 30 years to complete. But centuries after it first appeared, we still don't know who wrote it. According to legend, the Codex Gigas was written by the Christian devil. He helped a desperate monk make the volume in a single night and left a portrait of himself inside as his signature. Our first theory as to the real identity of the Codex's author is this. The legend of the devil and the monk is true. As the story goes, in the Middle Ages, there was a Benedictine monk named Hermit. He committed a grievous offense, and the only way to save his life was to complete an impossible task. Write the largest book in the world in a single night. If Hermann completed his masterpiece, he would be granted his freedom. But if he failed, he would be walled up within his chamber at the monastery, left to starve to death. Faced with an insurmountable challenge, Hermann called on the devil for help. They struck a bargain. In return for Hermann's soul, the devil created the Codex Gigas. Over the centuries, it was nicknamed the Devil's Bible and reportedly caused some of its owners to go mad. The root of this legend is the famous full-page illustration of the Devil inside the Codex. Here he is portrayed as a squatting green-faced demon. He has two red horns, clawed hands and feet, and twin red tongues. This monstrous version of the devil wears nothing but a loincloth made from ermine. Ermine is the black speckled fur of a white stoat and was commonly worn by royalty in the Middle Ages. The devil's loincloth symbolizes his power and dominion over the damned. It's a visual metaphor marking this grotesque figure as the ruler of hell. And though the enormous size of Satan's image helps establish this dominance, 
It's very unusual for illuminated manuscripts of the time. In fact, the illustration in the Codex Gigas is the largest picture of the devil in any medieval Bible. Beyond its odd size, the image is strange because it shows only the devil. In other Bibles from the time, the devil was shown presiding over hell, gleefully tormenting the souls of the damned. And it wasn't just art. It had a message. The portrayal of the devil as the ruler of a sadistic army of demons was a deliberate choice by the Catholic Church. This version of Satan was meant to scare parishioners into following church doctrine. The Middle Ages were a time of immense hardship for many European peasants. The labor was backbreaking and constant. Some scholars suggest that almost half of all infants born wouldn't survive to adulthood and the Black Plague was decimating the continent, eventually killing 30 to 60 percent of the European population. With all this chaos upsetting daily life, the church struggled to keep a hold on the peasant churchgoers. The Black Death especially sowed doubt among the poor as they saw that the clergy was powerless to help them. The Catholic Church came to a realization. If it wanted to keep its parishioners interested, it needed to try a new strategy. It was around this time that the devil became a significant character in Christian iconography. Before the Middle Ages, the devil hardly appeared in art at all. But during the medieval period, the Catholic Church began to lean on him as a representation of spiritual punishment. Satan was now a symbol of the suffering that awaited sinners who did not follow the Church's teaching. Their point was this. Though life on earth is difficult, you must continue to live it without sin. If you don't, gruesome punishment awaits you in hell. But the Codex is unique for featuring the devil alone on the page. He can be seen as ruling over a desolate, deserted version of hell. He is not torturing victims. Instead, his focus is outward. The scene suggests that the devil has appeared to torment the reader. The devil's stature in the Codex Gigas is also unusual in that it's a full page. Over the centuries, some believers have taken this striking portrait of the devil as proof of his influence on the Codex. Only the devil, or an author working with him, would purposely include such a large, disturbing image. But again, there is an explanation. The devil's immense size has to do with changing beliefs within the Catholic Church. According to Peter Stanford, author of The Devil, A Biography, there's a simple explanation for the size of the devil portrait. It's so large because at the time, people were much more scared of Satan than they were respectful of God. In a National Geographic interview, Stanford said it was the devil they worried about, much more than seeking God's approval. So by making the devil so large, it was giving a pictorial expression to that sense that the devil was everywhere about the earth. The devil was threatening you. It's also worth considering what the devil portrait looks at when the book is closed. Inside the volume, directly across from the devil, there's another full-page picture. 
It shows the pristine city of heavenly Jerusalem with bright orange and yellow towers. According to the book of Revelation, one day a new Jerusalem will descend from heaven to earth. Christians who have died and gone to heaven will return to the earth along with New Jerusalem to rule with Jesus Christ. The image across from the devil in the Codex is meant to be New Jerusalem, the kingdom of heaven on earth. It's a place where only the most worthy will go after death. But there's a strange detail in the picture. The city is absolutely deserted. Not a soul wanders the golden streets painted opposite the devil. Perhaps the artist simply wanted to show the kingdom of heaven as a beautiful, unadulterated city. But if the devil did write the Codex, it seems fitting that heaven would be empty. It may predict that the reader will not go on to live in heaven. Instead, they will join the devil in hell. However, the illustration of the crouching devil is remarkable for its emptiness as well. While it's not entirely clear why either illustration is empty, the image of what could be considered a deserted hell is chilling. Perhaps it's meant to evoke the hopelessness you would feel if sent to hell. There's nowhere to run or hide. It's just you, alone, and the ferocious, sadistic devil. Still, if the devil wrote this Bible, it's odd he would include heaven at all. If this was Satan's book, one would guess that it doesn't make sense for heaven to be shown in a positive light. Instead, it's likely these two illustrations were meant to show the reader their two paths. The left page encourages viewers to live a good and Christian life. If they do, they will be admitted into New Jerusalem when the time comes. But if they stray, the right-hand picture shows their fate. Their immortal soul will be sent to the devil. This justifies the inclusion of the devil portrait in a Bible like the Codex Gigas. The large image was included as a warning, not a signature. The author was urging their readers towards a path of righteousness. The frightening image of the devil was probably meant to scare the reader, encouraging them to avoid sin at all costs. Beyond the devil portrait, almost all the art found within illuminated manuscripts in the Middle Ages was highly symbolic. And armed with knowledge of Christian art and medieval religious trends, it's easier to make sense of the Codex Gigas's terrifying devil portrait. Unfortunately for occult fans everywhere, this indicates the actual devil did not have a hand in writing the book. And there's no real proof that anything supernatural was meant by the devil's inclusion in the volume. In fact, placed next to the picture of heaven, it acts as a warning against sin. And there's also the fact that there is nothing necessarily satanic in the text of the Codex Gigas. The manuscript contains an encyclopedia, a number of benevolent spells and incantations, exorcism rituals, and a full version of the Christian Bible. There are no passages that glorify evil or the devil. Judging by the text, there's no reason to think Satan had anything to do with the inception of the Codex. The Codex Gigas was probably not written by the devil, but maybe there's a grain of truth to the legend of its origin. 
In one small section of the Codex Gigas, there are a number of records from the Potlajitsa Monastery. One of the entries in the back of the book is a calendar noting deaths at the monastery. Among the careful script, one name stands out, Herman. That's right. Herman the monk likely existed, and he came into contact with the Codex Gigas. What's more, Herman's name is associated with the word inclusus, which has been translated to meaning similar to recluse. Coming up, our investigation of the real-life Herman. Now back to the story. As far as the experts can tell, the Codex Gigas was not penned by the devil. In the pages of the book, there's no evidence supporting the theory that Satan conceived, wrote, or had any physical association with it. But that doesn't mean the stories were entirely fabricated. In fact, a central part of the Codex's origin legend may even be true. There's evidence that Herman the Monk, the protagonist of the story, was a real, living person. In the final pages of the Codex Gigas, there is a collection of records from the Podlegitsa Monastery, which owned the book until 1295. As we mentioned last week, it's unlikely that the Codex Gigas was made in this monastery. They were too small and poor to support the creation of an elaborate, illuminated manuscript like the Codex. But logs and notes inside suggest that the Codex's author may have relocated to the monastery after completing the book. On a list of monastery deaths in the back of the book, the name Herman appears. Next to his name is his cause of death, inclusus. Previously, some scholars had interpreted this Latin word to mean shut-in. This would indicate that Herman died just like the Herman in the legend, after being walled up in a monastery chamber. Or not exactly. While the term inclusus can also mean to shut in, or more broadly, inclusion, it was commonly used by medieval monasteries to refer to recluses. In order to focus on their devotion, some Benedictine monks withdrew from monastery life. They lived as so-called anchorites, limiting social contact to focus on prayer and reflection. In fact, the word anchorite is originally derived from a Greek verb that is translated as withdraw. But these monks were still bound to the Benedictine rule, including the vow of stability that all Benedictines took. Rather than living in a cave or remote dwelling, these recluses pursued their solitary spiritual life within the walls of a monastery. To maintain their isolation, anchorites were often partially immured or isolated inside a room. Their chamber doors would be permanently locked or covered with bricks, leaving only a small hole to pass food through. In the legend of the Codex Gigas, Herman the monk was threatened with death by immurement. But the real Herman was likely voluntarily walled up so he could lead a life of prayer and reflection. Rather than starving to death, Herman probably died of natural causes within his cell. But not before he inspired the character Herman in the Codex Gigas legend. As for Herman's relationship with the devil, that could have been influenced by another popular legend at the time, 
The Story of St. Theophilus the Penitent In the 500 CE, legend states that Theophilus was the archdeacon of Adana in modern-day Turkey. He was a kind-hearted soul, known for his fondness for the poor, his work with the sick, and his eloquent sermons. When the bishop of Adana passed away, the other clergy unanimously voted for Theophilus to take his place. Ever humble, Theophilus refused. He had no lust for power. He instead wished to continue as an archdeacon. The clergy relented and elevated another man to bishop. But it wasn't long before the new bishop grew jealous of Theophilus. Theophilus's refusal of the bishop role made him known throughout Adana. Fueled by his newfound fame, rumors swirled around the selfless archdeacon. People reported he was conceited and self-serving, and that he thought himself better than the bishop. Hearing these accusations, the new bishop stripped Theophilus of his position as archdeacon. Though he had been a devoted servant of Christ for decades, Theophilus lost his title, his status, and his community's respect. Enraged by the injustice, Theophilus swore he would have revenge. That night, Theophilus traveled with a necromancer to a crossroads. At the stroke of midnight, the necromancer summoned Satan, who promised to reinstate Theophilus as archdeacon. All Theophilus had to do was forsake the Virgin Mary, renounce Jesus Christ, and sign over his soul. Desperate to have his position back, Theophilus signed the contract. The next day, the new bishop reinstated Theophilus and publicly dismissed the rumors tarnishing his reputation. All was well for Theophilus, but the weight of his misdeeds tore at his conscience. He had what he wanted, but he couldn't morally justify what he had done to get it. Despondent, he fasted for 40 days and prayed to Mary for forgiveness. On the 40th day, Mary appeared to Theophilus. She instructed him to publicly reveal what he had done and to ask the new bishop to forgive him. Only by admitting his wrongdoing could he save his immortal soul. When Theophilus awoke, he found the contract he had signed with the devil sitting on his chest. He took the contract to the new bishop and confessed his sin. The bishop burned the document, freeing Theophilus from his contract with the devil. Theophilus returned home with a fever and died three days later, a saved man. The story of Theophilus' deal with the devil became an archetypal legend. It was retold with various changes over the centuries. At a certain point, newer adaptations dropped Theophilus as a character and had new protagonists striking a bargain. As the story evolved over the years, it created a significant impact on culture and storytelling about the devil. By the time the Codex Gigas started gaining notoriety, the theme of Theophilus's hellish agreement was woven into the Herman myth. The story of Herman the monk and his Faustian deal with the devil arose as an explanation for the impossibly impressive Codex Gigas. 
the elements are laid out in the Theophilus legend. Like Theophilus, Herman made a deal with Satan in return for his mortal soul. When both realized the torment that awaited them after death, they pled for forgiveness. But the Herman legend has a much darker tone. Even the framing incident of the Herman story is more dire than the Theophilus tale. While Theophilus was driven by rage and a sense of injustice, Herman simply wanted to save his own skin. And while Theophilus finds a happy ending in his story, Herman wasn't so lucky. Theophilus was granted heavenly forgiveness and died shortly after as a saved man. Herman's pleas brought only the devil. He died before he could be saved, and his soul was punished in hell for eternity. The Herman tale emphasizes divine justice and retribution for wrongdoing. Instead of being allowed a chance at salvation like Theophilus, Herman must suffer the consequences of his actions. While the tale of Herman seems to have borrowed from Theophilus, perhaps it was inspired by the environment in which the real Codex author wrote the book. An author living in a monastery may have been inspired by the Theophilus legend as well as by their own views on spiritual punishment. Maybe they borrowed the name Herman from a monk that lived at Padlajitsa. Perhaps the story was purposefully created to obscure the author's identity. If the scribe was an anchorite, it's reasonable to believe that they would reject recognition for their work. If so, Herman was a cover story. The Codex Gigas was a magnum opus for its author and probably took a lifetime to complete. Discounting the devil, it's reasonable to think that a talented, hermetic monk dedicated his life to finishing it. But if you take a closer look at the text of the Codex, you may find something surprising. Some experts believe that all 620 precise hand-lettered pages of the Codex Gigas were written by an amateur. Coming up, we'll figure out how an untrained novice could have written the Codex Gigas. Now, back to the story. Sometime between 1204 and 1230 CE, an unknown scribe put quill to vellum and created the magnificent Codex Gigas. For years it was rumored that the devil wrote it in a deal with a monk named Herman. Even if the legend wasn't true, the tome had to have been made by a highly skilled craftsman. At least, that's what one would think. From the evidence left in the text, a certain profile became apparent. The Codex's author was a talented scribe bent on atoning for their sins. They may have created such a large book as a way to do penance and purge themselves of their own evil nature. In the medieval era, the concept of salvation through labor, particularly writing, became very popular among the learned religious order. Penitents believed they could atone for their sins through writing and creating great works. English historian and Benedictine monk Orderic Vitalis included a tale of salvation through writing in his history of medieval-era England. 
Vitalis told of a monk whose soul was saved as a result of his work as a scribe. When the monk died and appeared at the gates of heaven, his misdeeds prevented him from going inside. To see if he was worthy of entering heaven, the angels devised a test. Every letter of the monk's opus was weighed against each of his sins. Though it was very close, at the end, the scale was tipped in his favor by a single letter. The monk's soul was granted a brief amount of time back in his body so that he may right his wrongs. It was all due to the massive book he had written. Perhaps the Herman legend was also partially inspired by this story. The real author of the Codex Gigas definitely seemed to take the concept of salvation through writing to heart. In fact, the Codex contains proof that the author of the book was tormented by his wrongdoings. On the pages directly before the iconic New Jerusalem illustration and devil portrait, the author of the Codex Gigas wrote a personal reflection. In the passage, he ruminated on his own sinful nature. The author's confession of his sins covers five of the Codex's massive pages. The list, written in large letters, is a blend of small vices and major offenses. It was common in the medieval era to publish catalogs of sins. These lists were intended as teaching tools to educate readers about the sins they could fall privy to. And the large number was meant to illustrate humanity's inherent weakness. In the Codex, the list is framed as a personal confession. It finishes with a prayer asking God for absolution and mercy on the author's soul. This provides valuable insight into the mental state and attitude of the Codex's creator. It's possible they saw the Codex as a chance at salvation and wrote the impressive book to atone for their many, many sins. And while this method of penance was common at monasteries, where monks often trained as scribes, it's not confirmed the Codex's author was one of these practiced ascetics. The writing itself suggests an amateur's hand. National Geographic interviewed medieval manuscript expert Christopher de Hamel about the Codex Gigas. In his opinion, the calligraphy in the volume is antiquated and somewhat juvenile. De Hamel suggests the book was written by a novice, driven by some all-consuming mission. The script is uniform throughout the book, indicating that the Codex was created by one author, not two or three, which was often the case for illuminated manuscripts. And strangely enough, the calligraphy does not change throughout all 620 pages. There's no deterioration whatsoever, which in itself is remarkable. For one scribe to be working on the same project for 20 or 30 years, it's baffling that there's no indication in the text of any illness or aging. De Hamel argues this is proof of the author's obsession. In the documentary, he says, this man is not a master craftsman. He's a gifted amateur. He's an obsessive amateur. He wants it bigger and fatter and stranger and more comprehensive and more extraordinary than it had ever been done before. De Hamel brings a poignant truth to light. The Codex Gigas's massive size is due to the scope of one amateur's obsession. 
Perhaps he was inspired by the tale of the monk that was saved from hell by the massive book he wrote, or maybe he was simply driven to write himself into heaven. This may also explain the jumbled contents of the Codex Gigas. Inside its covers, there are copies of the Old and New Testaments, an encyclopedia, monastery records, and spells and enchantments. It wasn't uncommon for medieval Bibles to have a combination of secular and religious texts. What's intriguing about the Codex Gigas is the inclusion of exorcism rituals and incantations. According to National Geographic, no other illuminated manuscript has a portrait of the devil side by side with conjurations related to exorcism. This may be another sign of the author's fixation on writing the most complete book possible. Perhaps the hodgepodge of texts were selected not for theme, but for convenience. If the Codex was written by an amateur with no access to the books kept in monasteries, maybe instead they copied any written material they could find. The limited output of the Codex's author also indicates they were an amateur. Normally, professional scribes would create or co-write many works over their career. But according to Christopher de Hamel, the Codex is the only known work in the world by this particular scribe. The Codex's author's small body of work has made them incredibly hard to track down. But what we do know is this amateur created a one-of-a-kind literary masterpiece. When we picture the Codex Gigas, we see an impossibly large manuscript filled with thousands of passages and a number of beautiful, intricate illustrations. We see flashes of the white leather cover, the shadowy vellum, and the monstrous devil that lives within its pages. The Codex is a work of art, a labor of love that took its maker a lifetime to complete. With all its widely varied texts, amateur script, and personal touches, the Codex is a reflection of the mind that brought it to life. And their groundbreaking work still inspires fascination today. 800 years ago, a driven amateur scribe set out to create the largest, most magnificent Bible the world had ever seen. This scribe forwent the creative pipeline employed by the monasteries to write a work that was completely his own vision. And yet, there are still some details that don't entirely fit this narrative. The author's confession is written from the explicit perspective of a churchman, without further clarifying this person's role in the church. It could refer to a Christian layperson or to a member of the clergy. The monastery records also support the theory that a monk created the Codex Gigas. Early illuminated manuscripts were normally written at monasteries, and a monk named Herman was potentially living while the Codex was being created. Though it wasn't composed by multiple scribes, like typical Benedictine manuscripts, perhaps one talented monk was the true author. And finally, there are claims that over the years, the Codex Gigas's devil portrait drove its keepers mad. Though much of this evidence is anecdotal, it is certain that Codex owner Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II was beset by an unhealthy mental state. According to the anecdotal evidence, 
Rudolf II was not a stable ruler. He was a collector of the occult and became obsessed with the Codex, taking it from a monastery around 1594. As the years progressed, Rudolf became paranoid. Reports suggest he neglected his duties as emperor, grew suspicious of his advisors, and was convinced that he and his entire court were possessed by demons. But the answer to Rudolf's madness lay not in his occult collection, but instead in his family's name. Rudolf was a member of the Habsburgs, a dynasty that ruled much of continental Europe. The Habsburgs were famous for consolidating power through incestuous marriages. Within a few generations, the Habsburgs became famous again, now for their prominent facial structure, a long nose, large lips, and a protruding chin known as the Habsburg jaw. But they also suffered from a predisposition to alcoholism as well as schizophrenia, making it extremely likely Rudolf II had an untreated mental health condition. It was never the power of the Codex that haunted Rudolf. It was his own mind. And with that, science squashes the last facet of the devil theory. Based on the evidence given, it's likely that the Codex Gigas was either written by a hermetic monk or a skilled amateur. But with 800 years of history between the true author and today's researchers, it's difficult to determine which theory is correct. Without a significant revelation or new evidence, we may never know. The mystery of the Codex Gigas has captured imaginations for centuries. The book's size and intricacy made it famous, but the real draw is the leering devil portrait. People have always been obsessed with discovering who drew this unsettling illustration. The portrait inspired rumors and legends, masking the true origin of the Codex. Eventually, the creation legend of Herman and the Devil was the only history the book had. But because of the Codex's demonic reputation, the book was preserved in collections and libraries for almost a millennium. It traveled across Europe, seeing kings rise and empires fall. Somewhere along the way, it lost around 10 pages and maybe even squashed an unlucky Swede. If you listen to the stories, it can even move on its own. But the true power of the Codex is in the fascination it inspires. It has been preserved for so long because of its strange beauty, mysterious origin, and most of all, its one-of-a-kind illustration. The association with the devil elevated the Codex from another typical manuscript into an enigmatic masterpiece. Though the devil didn't write the Codex Gigas, in this case, it's fair to give the devil his due. Thanks again for tuning in to Unexplained Mysteries. We will be back Thursday with a new episode. For more information on the Codex Gigas, amongst the many sources we used, we found the National Geographic documentary, The Truth Behind the Devil's Bible, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Unexplained Mysteries and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, 
But now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals like Unexplained Mysteries for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Unexplained Mysteries on Spotify, just open the app and type Unexplained Mysteries in the search bar. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast and Twitter at Parcast Network. We'll see you next time. See you next Thursday. And remember, never take we don't know for an answer. Unexplained Mysteries was created by Max Cutler and is a Parcast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Mike Ramos, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Unexplained Mysteries was written by Molly Quinlan, with writing assistance by Maggie Admire, and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rosner.